Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the wild world of tabletop gaming that exists today. Uh, my name is Brad, and today we are going to be taking a look at some games that eh, we've talked about. But tonight we're going to get in a little more depth. Um, I often say on this podcast that we are in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just so many great games that we can be out there playing right now. It's often hard to know which one to play, what to spend our hobby dollars on, and where to spend our time. Now, there have been games that over the years have evolved and that have changed. Um, some of these games that uh, I have played, and I'm sure you have too, uh, games that have gone away and games that have sort of flashed onto the scene, or games that have slow built over time. Now tonight, we're going to talk about the little game that could. Uh, at least that's how I'm going to paint it in my preamble. Um, the game that maybe had one of the worst reps coming out of the gate from established fans possibly ever, um, and recently has hit a absolute milestone. And I'm going to get to that when I introduce my guest. If you are a fan of Age of Sigmar podcasts at all, or a you are a regular of Age of Sigmar events around Australia, you will absolutely know our guest tonight. And that, of course, is Clint, one of the hosts from the Heralds of War podcast. Now, why is he on and why are we talking Age of Sigmar? Well, Age of Sigmar just hit a really interesting benchmark. And I do like to say in the intro to this show just how much we like to talk about industry events, and we never end up doing it. Well, this is a milestone that should be discussed. Now, we do have Pete West, the, the TO from the CanCon event, which is the largest bolt-action event in the Southern Hemisphere. We've had him on more times than I can count. But tonight we're having Clint on to talk about a different event at CanCon this year. One that sold out at 220 players. Amazing. But without further ado, let me introduce the man himself. Clint, welcome to Cast Dice. Hi, Brad. How's it going? It's great to have you, man. Uh, it's, it, as I said uh, before we started recording, you're one of those voices. I do listen to your podcast quite a lot, and so it's always fun to be able to interact with the voice on the other end of the uh, the speaker. How you doing, man? I hear uh, it's, it's been a busy day. Yeah, very busy, um, both at work and, and planning for CanCon oh, already. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, brother, I can't even imagine. So uh, let, let's talk through this. Um a long time ago, and sort of we'll start as a, a broad stroke and then maybe zoom in on these particular topics. Um, you have been the CanCon TO for Age of Sigmar since Warhammer went out and Age of Sigmar went in. Is that correct? Uh, 2017 was the first year I did it. Okay. All right. So, yeah, not quite the first CanCon after Age of Sigmar released, but the one after. So that will be, so three solid years though. Uh, and now what kind of numbers did you get your first year? Uh, we got about, we got 47 the first year. Yeah. And the next year? 104. Oh. <laughs> and this year? Well, 220. So, so far. Wow. Yep. Now, uh, I mean, we talk bolt-action numbers on this show all the time, and bolt-action in the 60s is, you know, record-breaking in the Southern Hemisphere. Now, I mean, that's astounding. 
especially given, and I know you've talked to other podcasts about this, but Games Workshop, I mean, besides creating a wonderful game for people to play, hasn't been directly influencing or supporting this event whatsoever, correct? That's correct. Wow. All right. So even if you are not an Age of Sigmar fan, I think it is worth talking about the game's evolution um, and how to build a community from almost scratch. Um, I think tonight is a really good uh, blueprint for maybe some, some steps you should take if you are interested in a game and you want others to be as well. So, Clint, um, maybe you can start us out by talking to us about how you came to Age of Sigmar. Uh, well, I played Warhammer Fantasy beforehand since about 2000. So at the time that AOS came out, it was about mm -hmm. 15 years. Um, and AOS came out and I had a month or two of just kind of flip-flopping and then decided that I was going to go, go for it. Nice. Um, and I convinced one of my, uh, friends, Mark, to rebase his army, uh, without him ever, ever actually playing a game. Oh, wow. And, <laughs> um, yeah, so it was just he and I in in my games room for a little while, and then we gradually got a few more people to play with us. And um, our local store, um, I went to school with the owner, one of the owners of my local store since mm -hmm. primary school, so he sort of gave us some space. And um, as we got the ball rolling, he threw some money at it to, to keep it growing. And, nice. Um, then, yeah, then came the podcast, then came CanCon, the first year, et cetera, et cetera. It sort of just wow. snowballed from two blokes um, playing in a, in a uh, hobby room. Now, I, I was on the other side of that coin when it flipped, so to speak, um, as far as the end times came. And Warhammer, as we knew it, the rank and flank game, the game that I'd also played for a long time, not as long as you, but uh, I, I'd played for a long time, disappeared. And it was... It was heartbreaking. It was it was tough, man. Um, the Melbourne scene, uh, especially for Warhammer Fantasy, was prolific and strong, um, and it almost died overnight. Um, for you to have gone, you know, the the mass exodus to other game systems was unbelievable. However, you you as you say, you flip flopped around a little bit, but you held strong, and you came. I mean, within what a month. You had a friend. You very persuasively talked someone to rebasing their army, and you know you off you went. Um, what was it about Age of Sigmar that grabbed you? Was it just you didn't want to let fantasy go? Did the did the mechanics of it appeal to you? Um, what what caused you? Because that wasn't a popular decision back then. No, it definitely was not a popular decision. Um, I also kind of um, played a little bit of other games in that little. Time, but I kept coming back to Age of Sigma. Nice. Um, the models are awesome. Like GW models, just knock it out of the park as yeah. far compared to anything else. So that was um, that's always been an attraction to the game for me. So that sort of kept me there. And the game was simple. Yeah. It was really simple to pick up and play and teach someone. And um, like that's changed over the last couple of years as it's evolved. But you know, back in the back in the early days, it was simple to just sit down and, and work out a game with a mate and play it. And, you, you know, you didn't need that big, you know, 300-page rule book that we used to have for fantasy and stuff yeah. like that. That that appealed to me because I was never um, 
super duper rules encyclopedia kind of guy. Like I was always fairly casual. So yeah. that, that appealed to me. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I guess I, I, as much as I, I like to hang out with the dwellers below guys and I'm occasionally on the show and like to consider myself like the bad dweller, um, those guys, I went off to play bolt action, which was, you know, a little more of a casual game. Those guys, especially, I mean, I, I was I could play fantasy decently for a while, um, and uh, I think I can think back to an eighth edition um, event where I was a player and Dave of War was the TO, and in the last round I was on the top table, and so Dave decided to play the Gumby against the top army, and at my height with an army that back then with comp was comped really low because it was brutal and, you know, featured the bloodthirster. Dave took me off the board with his ogres and I lost three dogs or he lost three dogs and I lost almost my entire army. Um, so when I say those guys know their stuff, um, they did. I, uh, mm. um, mm. but I was always more of the casual game and I was looking for that as well to a degree. Um, I just, we tried to pick up the game when it came out um, and we played and we played, but we couldn't quite get a fair game um, because when the game came out, of course, it didn't have point values. Um, how did you sort of overcome that hump? Um, because that that was the deal breaker for me. I liked the casual nature of Age of Sigmar. I liked the simpler rules. I didn't have to memorize a thousand things so I could be taken off, you know, all my toys taken off immediately. It was, it was more of the social game I was looking for. And I guess um, I've lost myself in my question. <laughs> Sorry, it has also been a long day for me. Um, was was the uh, clearly the no points thing didn't throw you off um how did you find balance to play in that day or was it just pushing models around and having fun uh no point certainly was it like it is a hurdle um but when like um you know i was talking about my friend mark we've played games together for years and years and years so we kind of had that understanding it could have that conversation i don't think um, just randomly rocking up somewhere for a game of Age of Sigma would have been very successful in the first few months. Mm -hmm. um, but then along came, you know, the community to do the wonderful work that they mm -hmm. started doing then and still do. Um, and you had um, Mo Ashraf uh, and his Clash comp. Mm -hmm. um, and that then, that was the, the little little prod that just kind of kept that ball rolling, mm -hmm. I suppose, and helped it. It helped it sort of snowball on. Was that um, the wounds counting, or is that something else? No, no. It was a um, like all the war scrolls got read through, and they got a score, um, and you made an army up to twenty pool choices. Mm. And so, you know, a unit of skeletons might be one pool choice, or a character that's relatively decent might be four. So it wasn't points, but it was fairly close to it. Mm. Um, and it was, you know, community-led and refined as games got played and things like that. So um, it was it made it easy to kind of get other people involved. And I think the first uh, campaign that our store ever run was run on Clash Comp. So that's, that's how early on in the game that was run and how 
the, the, the store and the, the local sort of scene had started to pick it up at that stage. That's how early on it was. That's awesome. And then from there, of course, there were um, sort of iterations of those until Games Workshop sort of took on, um, at least to a degree, took on uh, fan feedback and gave us the original General's Handbook, correct? Yeah, yeah. A lot of a lot of people talk about that being the the catalyst for their their playing AOS or their community taking off. But um, we'd sort of got a run up by then. <laughs> so, right um, but yeah, no. It, the 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 General's Handbook was pretty awesome, and everything that's sort of come after that. Would you say that those those early days when people were trying to figure out how to make the game work and with the creation of those compacts, that that was sort of what led to Age of Sigmar having such a vocal and rich, in, in, in many ways, welcoming community? I think so. I think if, if GW had released it with points, it would have just been a continuation of what had happened before and the way that the community was during 7th and 8th, whereas GW had given us this thing and we had to fill that void. And yeah. so, you know, people started talking and and interacting and, and working on it. So, nice. and then, and that's grown now. You know, the AOS community is, um, yeah, like you said, vocal and and sort of involved, I think is a good word. Yeah, and... On one hand, there I think people are willing to call you know a, you know call the kettle black if it needs to be. But um, compared to some of the other games workshop systems, in particular, I'm thinking specifically at 40k, um, the community is to a degree um, way more positive than I think it's ever been in the fantasy setting. Um, I do remember there being some awesome positive um, pockets and envelopes of players, but I also remember some some real vitriol and toxicity online um, through uh, through seventh and eighth edition of uh, Warhammer Fantasy that just doesn't seem to be there now. Would you agree with that? I would agree. Um, this look, every community's got its own little pockets of. Yeah of toxicity as um as you're sort of saying but uh yeah aos has it to a lesser degree and i think um certain elements of the older community now play other games and and um they didn't sort of make the migration across and i think that's kind of helped a little bit absolutely well i mean to with all of the the mass exodus and the destruction of the old world um, I mean, clearly the Warhammer community, as I said, sort of splintered and disappeared um, to a large degree. But to say it disappeared, I think, actually does it a disservice. There was a core, solid peop- you know, group of people that loved the game, loved the fluff, um, wanted to play it like yourself, um, and you started over. Um, and with the people you brought in... Um, most of those were new or were from other game systems, right? And then over time, more fantasy people started coming back. Is that the sort of migration? Um, yeah, primarily new people, um, people who could never afford to play the older edition um, or who just saw it as a big barrier, um, you know, like the, the the years of history and the years of rules and, mm-hmm. and things like that. So you had um, 
people move across. Uh, at the time, 40K was in a bit, a bit of an interesting place, so we had mm-hmm. lots of 40K sort of refugees, I guess you could call them. Yeah. Um, a lot of those have gone again now, <laughs> back to their, you know, 8th edition and stuff. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so many new faces. Um, and, uh, yeah, especially... Um, at events, you talk to people, and you know it's their first ever wargaming event that they've been to, or whatever. Um, you know, and they're still picking, up, you know, they're picking up this game and and getting into it. And um, I, I will say as well, a lot more uh, female gamers in AOS than there used to be with um, fantasy, mm. just as a proportion. That's cool, man. Is and is that just? Um, I mean, there are a lot more. Are there more women in Warhammer now than there were before? I I don't know if that's the case. Um, now that I almost was saying that, but um, absolutely, I think it is a, a, a. I think that comes with less toxicity. I think, um, to a degree, not only are there fewer models on the table, not only um, is that, as you say, less of a hurdle to get someone into the game. Um, it is a more friendly and welcoming environment. So naturally, in my mind, that those are just ingredients that you spice up, um, you know, mix up, and you get you get people coming in and they're interested. I mean, as you say, the models are beautiful, and if people paint them well, which they generally do at your events, um, what's not to like? Beautiful tables, beautiful armies, friendly people playing it, having a good time. That that just attracts people. Um, from all walks of life, I'd imagine. Would you Would you agree? I know that you guys feel quite strongly on your podcast about painted armies on the tabletop. <laughs> uh, yeah, I feel quite strongly about painted armies all the time. Um, uh, but yeah, no, the community is very welcoming and that in turn leads to it growing and the fact that I think the level of hobby in AOS probably rivals any other game. Um, that helps yeah. attract people as well. Yeah, it's astonishing, uh, you know, having left the game for such a long time and come back, just to see the base level of people's hobby is fantastic. Um, do you attribute that to sort of social media sharing strategies and tips or new technical paints or just a higher expectation? What, what's going on there? Because, you know, that was, that was eye-opening when I came back. Uh, I think it's a mixture of all of them. So um, the Age of Sigma, like once upon a time, fantasy communities were on forums um, and they're, you know, mm. um, they're f- fairly closed sort of communities, I guess. Um, AOS is primarily Facebook-based. Yeah. Um, you know, pretty much every major city in Australia has an AOS Facebook group, um, and I'm generally a member of all of them. Uh, <laughs> yep. Twitter is huge, um, and people sharing their painting and stuff like that. But at the same time, like GW have also ramped up the level of um, that's true. like tutorials that they're doing mm-hmm. and their involvement, like them demonstrating hobby uh, to people. So you can have these, these people who have never played a war game before, never painted a miniature before they can go and they can buy a box from the store and you go, okay, we'll check out this YouTube channel. And then they turn up the next week and you go, oh, I, I, it took me ages to paint like that. And they've, they've done it in a week because yeah. they've sat down and they've followed these YouTube tutorials from games workshop and, and other places. And, you know, and they've, been able to turn out some really good results in a in a short time just because they've had that help. Yeah. Um, so there's those, and then um, 
yeah, I, at any event I run, and it's sort of it's it's taken hold within the community as well. Um, painted painted models are certainly a must, and uh, and I think that's just helped push that along as well. Yeah, well, it I mean, as it does, as I said before, it really sells the game. Um, not to mention, it really makes it more immersive. Um, I know that when I'm playing against someone and they have a, a painted army, even if it's just, you know, three base colors and some washes, and I've got my army on the table, which, you know, it's, it's to whatever I can do, and you have some nice terrain, you know, once the game starts, I often say, yeah, I've said on this podcast before, um, you know, the, I stop seeing the models, so to speak, and, you know, the matrix starts to drop and all the numbers and all you're seeing is, you know, the game itself, but... As much as I'm not looking at the painting of the models at that point, if a model isn't painted, man, it kicks me out of that mode. And I'm just like, oh, God, that's just bare plastic or, you know, everything else. Well, let's let's talk about this then. Um, the models are beautiful, yes. And the game is great, yes. The new rules are wonderful. And we'll talk about second edition coming out in a minute. But uh, rules and all of that aside, when sort of the end times happened there was this beautiful fluff buildup that sort of ended the old world and then one of the complaints when age of sigmar started um was that some people who were really into the fluff really struggled to find their way i mean there was such depth to the warhammer world and a lot of it went away um i mean a lot of the elements ported over but the the setting didn't um now that looks like it's largely been fleshed out as someone who went through that transition um was that an issue for you ever um it was it was rough uh because i i liked reading that you know the black library books i loved the law and the end times was amazing um if you were into the law um you know, um, it was a bit conflicting having my favorite character kill my second favorite character. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us so, about that. Who well, who killed who? So uh, Manfred von Karstein is my favorite character and the best character in the game, mm-hmm. hands down. Uh, stabbed Balthazar Gilt in the back, and oh, that's so. Great. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I had a Vampire Counts army and an Empire army, and they were my two favorite characters. Um, and for, so for that to happen, it was a bit conflicting. Um, yeah. And then we had, and then we had silence for a couple of months, and then AOS came out. Yeah. And it, it, well, yeah, the main complaint that people had was there was no maps, there was no farmers, there was no, mm-hmm. you know, there's nothing tangible as a human to grab onto in the same way that you could in the old world um but that said and it was an oft repeated argument online there was that you know they'd had 30 years to do that and um uh and with aos they've been gradually moving towards it uh, fleshing it out now and it's gone from being fairly nebulous at the start and just being incredibly vague um as they've found their feet in writing stuff um, to a bit more specific. And now you have some Mm -hmm. maps-ish and places and things like that that you can kind of, if you're that kind of gamer, you can tether your army to and say, my my army's from here. Um, But they just have so much scope to do pretty much whatever they want anyway and for for other people to do whatever they want. Yeah. yeah. Well, 
I, I know that when, I, when the, the game switched, I was trying out my orcs, and I was thinking, oh, cool, I'll put my orcs on round bases. I'll, I'll convert it over. I'll give this a red-hot go. And I bought the bases, and I was about to put my orcs on them. And then I had this weird moment of, I don't know what to base them like. Because, um, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. what is, is like bubbles of reality floating around. Do I paint it? dirt do i paint it rock do i paint it purple like what what how do i paint where are these guys what's their story um and that that as i said that also kind of kicked me out of the narrative but having bought into age of sigmar second edition just to open up the the hardbound rule book um it is such a change from the four pages of rules that was first released with age of sigmar just the literally hundreds of pages full color beautiful drawings, uh, paintings of the realms and really descriptions of, of what the ground is like, what the air is like, who lives there, why, you know, why they would live there. All of a sudden, the universe that I wanted when the game first came out is there. And that must be so, I don't know, uh, empowering for you as someone who went through the process of people telling you over and over and over again that there wasn't anything to base it on. It was, and you could see the progression from when they started to where they are now in Mm. the past probably 12 months. You could see that they had started to crystallize on what they wanted to do with it. Nice. Um, You know, and that's when you got stories about actual human, you know, free guild um, soldiers and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, but yeah, no, the new rule book is, is amazing. Yeah. It's just, yeah. And as he said, there's no farmers in age of Sigmar one, but they describe who's living in those realms in age of Sigmar two. So all of a sudden, you know, the everyman, not just, you know, the, the magical creatures that you put on the tabletop or the soldiers or the warriors or anything else, you know, random dudes who's walking who walking around in those places all of a sudden you get to see a day in the life and I, that was really inspiring army ideas were just chugging through my head and i still have barely played the game as someone who plays it a lot more than i were you tempted to just go off in a million directions i know that you do like death uh in particular but ha- has this sort of eruption of fluff um led you astray at all or are you even more in the death camp uh well recently i've been working on um an army from my own free city so Mm -hmm. um basically if people aren't familiar with age sigma um sigma sends down the stormcast to kind of clear chaos out of these places and then afterwards the cities are founded and they grow up and but it's not just as opposed to the old world where it was like humans are here and dwarves are here and elves are over there on their own island and, you know, they never meet unless it's for battle. You know, the free cities have all the different races living together and uh, intermingling and, and, you know, doing what they do best but for the good of the city. And so I've been kind of working on my own free city, which I, um, I looked at one of the maps of the Realm of Metal and I went, mm-hmm. oh, that's a name. I will make my free city there. And so I've been working on stuff that's um, elves and humans and dwarves and all sort of mixed in and um, that kind of thing. Been working on that rather than death recently. That's awesome, man. 
Oh, that's cool. And are, are you bringing um, particular bits of the modeling or the painting to sort of unify the force um, and unifying that to the realm of metal? Or how, how is that working for you? Uh, the basing um, is sort of grayish. Uh, yeah, um, the realm of metal thing... Um, I've got I've got sort of two themes running through it. It's the Roma Mel, um, and I've also got sort of a Beasts theme running through it. So mm-hmm. you, you could probably port it into the Roma Beasts if you really wanted to, but um, instead of a celestial hurricane and being pulled around by horses on a cart, it's mounted mm-hmm. on the back of a bear. Oh, um, um, and just instead of demigriff riders, I've got wolf riders. But, you know, I've also got the metallic thing um, in my army. I have a flames, uh, flames fire phoenix. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of goes from that beautiful red into a metallic gold color um, as you move through it and things like that. So there's um, – and and certain other things are a bit techier um, because it's realm of, uh, realm of metal as well. Nice. Um, and I'm tying it all to – like because there's just – all different races, you know. I've um, been just building stuff with random kits. Um, you know, I've got Glade Guard in there that are three different kits and that kind of stuff. Um, but it's tying it all together with like a blue color. Um, all my death are purple, generally, mm-hmm. and so I was looking for something else to to paint and went with blue. And yeah, so there is blue on every model, no, um, no matter how big or small it is. But it all ties it together. That's awesome, man. And what what I really like is they didn't just give us the fluff for the realms. Um, we also now have, for the first time, I mean, really rules to play in those places. So when you are building an Age of Sigmar army, and this is something I'm still getting my head around, so maybe you can help us out, you theme your army not only visually um, and fluff-wise to a realm, that gives you rules that you either, depending on where you're playing or who you're playing against and where their army's from. Can you explain that to us a little bit? Because that's really fascinating. Okay, so, yeah, once upon a time, the realms were just a thing that you talked about and mm. you might be fighting in the realm of fire, but that doesn't didn't really mean anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so GW have come uh, in this new edition and they've got realm rules. is what they're collectively being called, but that actually means a couple of different things. So... There's a realm that you play in that might have some effects that um, that sort of are at work in your mm-hmm. battle. Um, there's magic that's tied to the realms as well. Like because all the realms in Age of Sigma are tied to the eight winds of magic. You know, you're fighting in the realm of metal, so that you know you've got that old school lore of metal feel to the spells. Yeah. Um, so you've got those. You also uh, pick a realm that your army is from. So this is um, the most common thing that people are, um, who play Age of Sigmar are in touch with, basically. So you mm-hmm. pick your army. It's from, you know, uh, the realm of death. And so that gives you access to some artifacts of power, uh, which might be uh, magic weapons or um, armor or something like that that you can give to some of your heroes. Mm-hmm. Um and so that changes, to, you know, each of the realms has a, has, um, a couple of um, lists of, of items that you add to your army. And they're fairly universal. The other realm stuff, uh, it ranges from fairly mundane um, to 
fairly extreme and <laughs> yeah. stuff that you wouldn't probably want in a in a super competitive environment. So uh, the Realm of Beasts, it's realm feature. So they all have this kind of feature that, you know, is in play. Its feature is that each player gets to bring a monster. Yeah. Um, and then there are some uh, Realmscape features, additional things that happen that, you know, affect that monster and, you know, might get another one or whatever. Like... That would be amazing. I'd love to play an event that had that. Yeah. But at the same time, um, if you have a large event, uh, you don't want to have the impact of everyone having to bring an extra monster. Yeah. Plus, it, yeah. So, so how, we, I guess, as the TO of what is going to be the largest Age of Sigmar event in the world ever, um, which is larger, I believe, than any Warhammer Fantasy event that we ever had in the Southern Hemisphere and possibly in the Northern Hemisphere, um, how are you going to manage that? Um, are you requiring, are you allowing the realm rules as far as arm, where armies are coming from or where armies are playing? How are you going to tie that to the missions? Um, okay. Yeah. So uh, as I sort of said before, the, the realm choice of where your army is from, it's fairly universal mm. and pretty much every event since it's come out has allowed that. Okay. Uh, so we're obviously allowing that. That's easy. Okay. Um, uh, we are going to bring um, these realm rules into CanCon, uh, but in a managed fashion. Okay. So, right, so the rules themselves say at the start of the game, both players roll off. The winner of the roll-off gets to pick which realm you're playing in. Mm -hmm. And there's a bit of an advantage there because some stuff is better in certain realms. Mm. You know, Chaos Dwarves do really well in realm of, uh, in the realm of fire. Oh, yeah. So, you know, if you win that roll-off, you're always playing in the realm of fire. But um, So we're going to um, make the whole event, so all the tables play in the one realm mm -hmm. per round, Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so you know, round one, everybody is playing in the realm of fire. Right. We'll go with that because that's what I've been talking about. Mm -hmm. um, and so what's in effect this round, it's realm of fire. We're going to pick this realmscape feature. So we'll pick something that's still going to affect the game, not in an extreme way, mm -hmm. but something that players have to be conscious of right. and still has that feel of playing in the realms properly. Um, sense, yeah. Yeah. And right. we're not, we're not, um, probably not going to allow the full bevy of realm spells either. So, ah, now that is something I wanted to bring up because when you build your army in age of Sigmar, you build your army out of a faction and there's, you can bring in some allies, um, within, um, with it from within, your oh now I'm getting the terminology turned around is that right with faction and with so if you are in order you can so let's say for example you're playing now this one always gets me um, dark elves um, or in this case um, daughters of Cain so you're playing a witch elf army um, and they're on the side of order so you can take up to um, what is it a, f a quarter of your force or a fifth of your force in allies so in a 2000 point game you can take up to 400 points of like n Empire Knights um, if those things existed in that name anymore 
Uh, you can take allies, but they're generally constricted into what you can take. So if you're playing Doors of Cain, mm-hmm. um, you tend to have access to, you know, the old Dark Elf oh, yes. stuff. You're right. Um, a list if of you're playing. Yeah, yeah. So each each um, faction has a list of allies that they can take from, which kind of aligns fairly roughly with you know law based mm. um, sort of stuff. So, but each army that you build has access to certain. Uh, in general, uh, of course, corn doesn't because corn doesn't like magic users. Um, but if you, there are certain wizards you can add or shamans you can add to your forces. Um, and that gives you access to certain spells. Um, each model has its own little choice, plus there's the general spells they can pick from, plus the realm spells that they can pick from. So there are a lot of moving, interacting parts in army building, um, more so uh, than a lot of games these days. Um, so that's any recommendations for new players? Because I've been looking at this, and it's fairly daunting, um, mainly because I haven't been playing enough. Um, as someone who's very experienced and has been shepherding new people into the game, do you have any pointers uh, for people who might be like me? As far as, as coming to grips with all of it? Um, yeah, and sort always... of the magic and the, uh, the how... Uh, are there certain things you should just keep in mind, things to avoid, things you should probably look for? Um, do think certain armies just... I mean, clearly not every army can work. Um, but mm. I remember in fantasy, you put an army together. Sometimes if you put it together, not particularly well, it really didn't work. Um, and you were very easily taken off. Um, is this a more welcoming, friendly game? Um, forgiving, I think is the word. I guess it depends on the army, doesn't it? It really does. And if you're a new player to the game, uh, I always talk about, um, if people are coming into the game, um, and they, they're not really tied to any particular set of models, so they're trying to make a decision. Picking something that has a battle tome, what used to be called an army book, mm-hmm. uh, is generally a good shout because that means it's had support in the last couple of years. Mm. Um, and picking something that's sort of from about Sylvaneth onwards um, is always a good shout, so that's within the last sort of two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and that gives people a good um, a good force to work with. They're not um, playing with something that has points but no sort of love from GW and they're going to be uh, fighting uphill from the start and perhaps getting discouraged. Mm. Um, it's, you know, the, the Stormcast, they're in the starter box. They're always a good shout for people to start with because they're an all-rounder force um, and they do a little bit of everything. Um and yeah, and you can generally get their models pretty cheaply as Games Workshops put them in every starter box ever. Pretty much, yeah, yeah, and that's why they seem to be sort of everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, and as far as people sort of taking their first steps into the game, and you're talking about spells and this and that and this and that, um, playing from the core rules which are in the rulebook, they're like eight to 12 pages. They don't mm-hmm. have the realm spells. They don't have the realm artifacts. They don't have um, a lot of that bolt on. And you kind of, you need to play uh, fairly uh, basic games to get your, 
to, to sort of get your foundation where, uh, right, and mm-hmm. then you can sort of bring in these these extra realm spells and things like that. So That's a because idea. even so. Because even some experienced players, um, you know, they've been playing for a couple of years and, um, you know, you throw them into the realms and have realm spells and stuff like that and they'll forget them. And, you know, and they'll go a whole game and go, oh, we should have been doing this because we've got the realms and things like that. It's it's a new thing even for us. Yeah. So, um, yeah, definitely for new players. Um, yeah, that's a good tip. Yeah, just keeping it simple. And that's if I'm if I'm running somebody through a demo game, we don't worry about the rule the 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 realms or any of that. We just have maybe 500 points worth of models, um, and just just run through the basics. Um, well, let's let's talk about that change then. For maybe for people who were a lot more active in the scene coming in, maybe people like me who tried the game or played it a little more recently, and then sort of wondering how Age of Sigmar two really changed. Um, I know a huge number of people jumped in back into the game, me included, when Age of Sigmar two dropped. Um, I mean, one, because it looked like a... I mean, it was a really interesting narrative behind the box. Um, the new Death Army, the Night Haunts, Ghosts, um, new Sig, uh, Sigmar forces. So uh, how drastically did the rules change? Um, it, it seemed as though it was a fairly reasonable cleanup of the rules with the add-on of things like the Realm Rules and the endless spells and things like this. Is that the case or was it, did those, I mean, now that you've been playing for a couple months, have you been seeing a more significant shift in the rule set? Um, so it's just Sigma two. It was, uh, it was almost what should have come out first, but you've got to, Take into effect that the, into account. Sorry, that um, they've had three years of um, growth, and um, and so in the previous generals' handbooks, there's been sort of rules of one that overwrite the core rules, mm. and um, that kind of just refine how the game is played and things like that, and you know, and match play rules in those books and things like that. And so AOS two rolled them straight into the main rules. They're like, well, this is. This is clearly how 99% of people are playing. Let's just roll that in. Um, and it was a refinement. And, you know, I think one of the design briefs for the first edition was make it be able to be four pages. Yeah. Like double-sided A4. That was a design brief step, I think, that they went with. And I think they abandoned that uh, pretty smartly, I think, uh, for the second edition. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it didn't. It's not a complete change. Um, you know, it's still the game that we were all playing. It's just been refined somewhat and tweaked and, and some things now make a bit more sense. Yeah. And and so I think uh, that certainly attracted the, the returning players and things like that, you know, a little bit of maturity around the system. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Um, but fundamentally, yeah, it's it's the extra stuff that they've brought in that have changed the game fundamentally rather than the actual switch to second edition. All the, the realm rules and endless spells and things like that, all the all their newer concepts 
um, that that's what's adjusting the game now. That's what's sort of evolving it. So it isn't necessarily that they've changed the foundations um, that make the game what it is. They've sort of added layers on top to give it more depth. Pretty much, and refined what was there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right on. Well, having worked for Games Workshop uh, for many years, and then uh, having been a fan for countless more than that, um, I remember the days uh, behind and in front of the Iron Curtain, uh, so to speak, w- you know, screaming at the Wailing Wall with thousands of other, if not millions of other gamers. Um, saying that, you know, this doesn't work or that breaks the, or, you know, criticisms of how the game works or this isn't pointed correctly. And forever, Games Workshop had this mentality and it seemed to be increasing rather than decreasing um, that they just weren't listening to their fan base and were doing what they did in a vacuum and then just releasing things. Um, You, though, have stuck through Age of Sigmar um, and watch the game evolve. But more than that, you've watched Games Workshop change the way it does its business probably more than almost any other time in its history. What has that been like um, as someone who, who went through that change? I mean, the death of Warhammer was not listening to fans, and yet now you are TOing a 220 person event in a game system that is more popular than ever how did how was that experience for you i mean it's been interesting um sort of like at the start of age of sigma people like to categorize it as old gw and new gw Mm. and um and that coincided with about 12 months after a ceo change you can kind of new CEO comes in about 12 months later, stuff starts to turn around. Mm-hmm. Um, and they did start interacting with the community more. Um, they have Facebook again. Um, yeah. And it's quite sassy. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> so sassy. Um, they, you know, the, the staff are allowed Twitter accounts so that they're allowed to interact with people. Um, you know, um, they're still not answering random questions, but, you know, you have um, heavy metal painters on there. People say, oh, how did you paint the black on this? And they'll say, oh, I did this and this and this and this and this. You know, that's exciting. It that's was exciting to watch this transition. Um, and because, you know, they've had that involvement with the community, um, you know, you have the General's Handbook, which is um, every an annual points adjustment for That's everything so in the game so you know once upon a time and you'll you'll have you'll remember this you know mm-hmm. if you've got an army book and the x unit was overcosted, that was you done for five or six years if not like, that's longer yeah yeah if not longer depending on your army um bretonians still yep. waiting <laughs> yep but you know, now you now we get annual points adjustments look it's not perfect Mm-mm. but um you know you still have this this iteration um this iterative approach they have um a play test team in the uk and the us uh that provide feedback on stuff um you know they're telling us what they're releasing months in advance now mm-hmm. 
you know, which they never did. It used to be, oh, this is coming out next week. Uh, yeah, give us all your money. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that in turn has helped um, just kind of bring the positivity up in the community. Uh, look, at the end of the day, they're still a business. They still want to sell us stuff. There's still going to be yeah. the odd thing where this is pointed really nicely to make sure that you buy lots of them, and then in mm-hmm. 12 months' time, it might not be. Right. Uh, <laughs> that's just that's just a business thing, and the sooner people kind of just deal with that and know that it's happening, I think that the better. But um, overall, I think it's been a good. A, a, a really awesome positive change to watch. Um, you know, you were talking about uh, shouting at the wall and trying to get mm-hmm. stuff fixed that was broken. You know, now they have an openly advertised FAQ email address. They reach out to community members about their top ask questions in their community. Um, you know, they have got that FAQ schedule as well. Mm-hmm. You know, um, eighth edition, you got one FAQ maybe every 12 months. If you were lucky. Right. If you were lucky. You know, there was a good period of about 18 months at the end there where we didn't have anything. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's and really it, awesome. It is. And not only that, but they're looking at some of the big events. I mean, I know they'll be looking at your event. What what were the big armies? What are the, you know, the power builds? What are the things that people are sort of taking advantage of? What are the things that are maybe too efficient or too good? And then they change them. I mean, people, I, I remember, and I wasn't even playing Age of Sigmar, people complaining vehemently about um, zine charmies and them being, they tried FAQing some of the things, uh, and then they just outright repointed everything um, in the most recent General's Handbook. I mean, that's really exciting that they're looking at things. They look at Croak when uh, Lord Croak on the the giant toad um, when the game came out, uh, version two, and in one of the big events, you know, he did crazy (laughs) summoning. They immediately fixed it. Um, That's really exciting. You're not getting one build destroying a scene for a 12 months, 18 months until they get around to it. It's almost I, instant. Yeah. Until the hard counter book comes out 18 months later. Yeah. Um, yeah, that doesn't happen anymore. They've, you know, um, you still get some fun stuff like the croak, mm-hmm. um, and that kind of thing. But then they, you know, they have a book two weeks later, three weeks later, they have an FAQ. They put it out there They wait for people to break stuff and then they'll fix it because they're not going to catch everything. Mm-hmm. And I know uh, that a lot of playtesters copped a lot of flack early in second edition because there was stuff that was broken. But um, I think that's incredibly unfair. <laughs> well, how many armies are there? And I guess you can't even qualify it as armies now. The way the game was redistributed, um, certain armies were broken into five or six pieces, if not more. Mm. Um, I mean, my orc and goblin army got split into three armies. Orcs, goblins, um, actually four, um, armored orcs, and trolls. Four Mm. separate factions. And I go, "Uh, how do I build an army out of this now? And so I've gone back to the drawing board, and I'm trying to do that um, using bits and pieces and allies to make a force. Um, but it means that there are all sorts of crazy combinations for army building now um, that 
A, uh, is great for, you know, if you really want to be creative as a player, but also B means playtesting's a nightmare because there's endless combinations almost, at least way mm. more than there used to be. And there used to be tons. So I can't imagine them getting it right the first time. And I think anyone who sort of has that expectation, eh, maybe you should dial it down a little and let the community try and break it. Because no one breaks it faster than we do, right? <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, right on. Uh, let's let's dial it back to, and uh, get to CanCon again. Now, 220 players. Now, I recently ran a 30-player event, and I was dying for terrain on my last table. How in God's green earth are you going to get enough terrain for 110 tables? Uh, you get players to bring half of it. There you go. Uh, that's always good. Uh, it's something that we did last year. Everybody bring three pieces of track. It's super duper common in the UK, um, at big events like South coast and things like that. People bring, you know, they have an expectation that some people, uh, that their attendees bring like five pieces of terrain each. And that's all the terrain that's on the table, you know, because they don't have club like, clubs over there can't mm. store it and things like that so we we're not that mean we're going with three pieces each um and we're putting five pieces on five to six pieces on each table so you get your sort of 10 to 12 pieces of terrain on a table mm-hmm. um and i just it it really helps us lighten the terrain load yeah. um and it also gives actually gives people a little bit of um a little bit of free reign on their hobby as well. Like they're painting armies, but maybe they'll paint a bit of terrain to match that army. You know, if you've got a death army, you paint up the the graveyard terrain, Mm -hmm. um, you know, to match your army or some ruins or something like that. Um, Some people do that. Some people just go, okay, I'm going to buy these three pieces because they're cheap and easy to paint and Mm -hmm. they fit in my suitcase to fly down. And that's fine too. Um, Yeah. Uh, the rest of it, um, pretty much, um, pretty much from day one of running the first CanCon, there have been some, some groups who sort of get in touch with me and say, look, I've got this, you can borrow that for CanCon. Um, we talked about community a lot this evening and the community properly rallies around this sort of stuff mm-hmm. you know i was selling tickets i think i'd hit 50 tickets and somebody was like cool i've got 10 tables worth of train would you like them for cancon yes awesome. thank you yeah. you know brilliant i will talk to you in a couple of months and we'll nail down exactly what you've got mm-hmm. you know um and just on a every couple of days somebody's getting in touch and saying look i've got this much train i've got two tables i've got three tables would you like me to bring it yes you know, mm-hmm. we're still going to have to make terrain. I still spent a large part of my Christmas and uh, early January making terrain the past couple of years. Oh. <laughs> so I, I, um, I make that noise having been doing it recently myself, although on a much smaller scale. Now, you must have a team or a big garage um, and a lot of free time. Um, how, how, are you, uh, how are you putting it all together? Do you have your own pit crew, so to speak? Uh, a combination of very patient wife, um, mm-hmm. a huge group of people who are willing to help, and um, being able to paint long into, into the wee hours of the evening um, and still get up and go to work properly. Mm. Uh, so it's a combination of all of them. 
um, and we just and just work away on it. And um, you know, I last year I had my wife um, putting trees onto MTF bases and then putting the sand on them just while she was doing other things, mm-hmm. you know, watching, um, you know, she'd be watching some TV in the evening and she'd be like gluing sand down onto trees while I was, um, That's you awesome. know, while I was uh, out in the shed uh, making more terrain, doing something else and, you know, had people come over, um, you know, on ran- you know, random days on the weekend and they'd go, right, I'll, I'm here for X hours, what are we going to do? And we'd just, you know, we would make rocks. Yeah, <laughs> and we would glue them down to MDF, and that's what we did that day, oh, you know, un- until we'd made two hundred rocks, <laughs> just things like that. Man, you're doing the good Lord's work. That is hard yards, uh, or as they say in Australia, that's hard yakka. Oh my God! Um, so Jesus, um, I guess the, where do you store it all when you're not using it? Uh, once upon a time, I've recently just moved. I used to have like a hobby room that was a converted garage and it was all lined and nice and great. Mm-hmm. And I just had tubs stacked in one corner. Awesome. Um, now I actually have a proper garage, um, and the train will probably still live in the corner. Mm-hmm. Um, it, there'll just be slightly more of it after, after this CanCon. Uh, but the terrain journeys round as well. It's currently in somebody's shed in Brisbane for an event in a couple of weeks. So <laughs> Nice. That was my next question. Um, given how much um, I've been watching some YouTubers like Doom and Darkness and listening to your podcast, of course, and um, been a little bit a part of the dwellers and listening to them, just the community... Um, and I mean, we have people like, uh, the AOS coach and, uh, you know, people who are out there who are volunteering their time, who are volunteering their, um, I just, their terrain, uh, they're helping their, they're helping their mates out. I have rarely seen a game community that is this supportive of one another, especially from great distances, um, I, did that just come up out of no? I mean, there used to be a degree of that in fantasy, but nothing like it is now. How did that sort of come into being? Was that not not asking you to blow your own horn here? But is that something that you had a hand in developing, or do you know? I think like all the groups were little to start off with. Let's face it, mm-hmm. um, and. We just had some events and, you know, it only took one or two people from Sydney to come up to a Queensland event and straight away you had a bond then between your group and the Sydney group. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Chris Welfare um, from the Mortally Wounded podcast, he came up to a Queensland event oh, yeah. with James, the co-host. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they came up to an event up here in Queensland, instantly started getting on like house on fire. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... You know, you had that bond then between him and his Queensland group, and then um, that kind of builds across successive things. Um, You know, at these, at events and things like that, like at the first CanCon, I met a bunch of people I never knew, um, you know, and and that just, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just the bonds between the different groups grew really strong and really quickly mm-hmm. and to the effect now that we're like one huge community. Um, but I take your point, that didn't kind of happen in fantasy, and I don't know why. Um, 
I, w- I, I mean, we've talked recently about the development of um, sort of gaming subculture, especially through social media, which is something you talked about earlier. But um, now my dog's digging on the bed, and it's really frustrating. But if, um, if uh, I wonder if we had the social media that we have now, back then, um, in the days of 8th edition, if we had been able to... I don't know, develop the communities. I, I just don't know. I think I think Age of Sigmar had to go through the tough years, the lean years, and people had to have that positivity to run through it. And then the social media, I think that's, I think that's one of the things that have made it so special. Um, because I think there was a lot of, you know, people who had very strong and often negative opinions of the game that kind of had to go somewhere. Um, and what was left, you know, the 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 chaff the chaff was uh, was cut, and uh, what was left grew. Um, I don't know. That's just my outsider's view. Would you agree with that, or do you think there's more to it than that? Uh, no, I I think um, the AOS community is very positive, and we've had to be, but it's been positive from the start. And you're right. I think um, Facebook cross-pollination of groups i think is what also helps build yeah. up that that t- those ties as well um yeah where which is something that i'm sure there were facebook groups for eighth edition stuff and whatever but mm. nothing nothing like we have now yeah you know um Agreed. Some of these Facebook groups have more members. Like the Sydney Facebook group, I think, has more members than some other games have in their worldwide groups. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, and and probably half of those people aren't from Sydney. They're people who are, care about AOS and so they're in the Sydney group to interact with the Sydney people and, yeah. you know, see their events and things like that and share hobby and, yeah. Well, there's also that 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 sort of, in essence, being Australian of element of, uh, and I know I don't normally you know use huh, strong language on this show, but there's certain element of shit talking that involves um, that you know that that certain talking smack to uh, someone else on the internet, but in a friendly way, if that makes sense, um, that is distinctly Australian, um, hanging hanging things on people uh, online, you know, prior to event and after event. Um, I know that one of your co-hosts was bagged out on a a podcast for creating a terrible list, and now he's known as the shitlister or something like that. Um, I I can't think of the term, but um, that's exactly that. But he wears that with pride, doesn't he? Yes, he does. Um, <laughs> along with other things that he will no doubt mention whenever asked or not asked. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's yeah. I think that's fairly distinctly Australian. <laughs> running yeah. with that kind of thing. But I think I think just that good nature ribbing absolutely adds an element. Um, to a scene that, you know, in other places people might take personally or might lead to uh, more toxicity. I really think the way the, especially given the positivity and the fact that you combine that, you know, that ribbing with it as well, I think you just, I think it's a nice, it's a recipe for success. Anyway, um, well, right on. Uh, So 
sadly, our time is coming to an end. Um, before we say goodnight to you, though, Clint, um, let's talk a little bit about your event. So it's clearly you're sold out at 220. You can't go any bigger, can you? Or, or do you have plans? No, I do not have plans. I love okay. – um, so we keep talking about my event. Um, I have an assistant TO. His name is Dennis. Um, mm-hmm. He ha- sort of stuck his hand up to give me a hand last year. Um, this year he's taking a bit more of an active role as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're discussing a lot of decisions to make. And then I've got a team of – other helpers that are going to, you know, be extra sets of hands on the day. You know, we've got Gemma um, from the Failed Charge podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got Mark from the same podcast, my friend Mark who we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. We've got Sam who gave the AOS coach um, his help at Sydney. So you know, building up this team of people. Um, so, yeah, it's not just not just my event. There's right. a team of us and we're going to make stuff happen. But um, I like – talking about how much bigger I can make it with Dennis and watching him react. Uh, <laughs> definitely. I like baiting him with certain numbers. Is he sweating? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Look, we had some some um, teething issues with uh, score entry and stuff last year. Mm-hmm. Just the um, putting in double the amount of scores isn't twice as much work. It's about three times work. And so we kind of... We're super conscious of that this year um, with, the, with, with the doubling again. Um, and uh, um, so I, I throw numbers at him, you know, 250, 300, and he just he, he reacts, and I love it. Uh, <laughs> Man, my Excel spreadsheet struggled the last time I ran a big event with 60. I cannot imagine 100, let alone more than double that. I literally, I, I cannot give you guys, t- tip my hat enough that you guys are able to do that. Um, just we've got, amazing. Yeah, we've got some tech, uh, tech wizardry happening um, with the aim of getting multi-user input so we can have three people putting scores in at a time. Nice. Um, just things like that. So we're doing all of that testing and hard work now so we don't, don't want to cry on the day. Um, but coming back to your original question of 220, yes, that's where we're going to stop. Yeah, okay. Because um, I know you started at 150, and then you sold out, and then you sold out, and then you, and then people go, is he going to go again? No, you're done. Yeah, we went from 150 to 180, um, and then from 180 to 200. So we went from zero to 200 within the weekend. Um and most of that time was waiting for the spots to be reopened because um, there's a good a good delay between when we ask and when that happens. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so we went to 200, and then um, and then my waiting list grew again and again and again, and kind of went, okay, well we'll go to 220, and what can we reasonably expect? And that also doubles on our max capacity from last year. So we had 110 spots last year. Mm-hmm. We just had, unfortunately had a couple of drops, um, like in that last three days before the event. So we've doubled that now. We're happy with that. Um, there's there's hashtag make it 300 on the <laughs> on Twitter floating around, and I'm oh. getting taunted because I say no, and they say, well, you you weren't going to go above 200. Mm. Um, yeah, peer yeah. pressure. It's a thing. 
yeah, I'm I'm going to have to be immune this time because yeah. there's only so much stress that I can take. Um, I mean, is there going to be a point though when you're just going to have to not be part of CanCon? Um, do you think? I mean, CanCon is an is an Australian icon, but I mean, events like ArcanaCon, the old 40k event, had to leave the ArcanaCon event and have 40k Arc became its own event because it literally was too big for the the event. Um, sorry, the convention. Is that something that you're afraid of? Or is that something that you're just going to say, nah, I'm just going to take over the main hall at CanCon and the rest of you can go somewhere else? Oh, we don't want to be that mean. Um, look, I was talking about it with Dennis and a couple of other people this afternoon mm-hmm. about whether, you know, in two years' time, it just can't be at CanCon. The thing, though, is... CanCon, as you were saying, it's an Australian institution. Like people travel to CanCon that wouldn't normally go to a tournament. So if we had the exact same tournament in Canberra at the same place on a different long weekend in the year, we wouldn't get half the number of people. Right. It's just that kind of mm-hmm. pilgrimage, I guess you could say. So if you did hypothetically want to split it out, you'd almost have to have it in Canberra on the same weekend, mm-hmm. just not at the same at the same place. Yeah. <laughs> you know, have it ten minutes up the road so people can go and check out CanCon on their lunch break or something. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Mate, yeah, that's uh, the the logistics of what you're doing are mind boggling and I am more than impressed. And I know I'm not alone. People are literally talking about you and um, the event that y'all are putting on around the world. So, uh, just, I, I'm, again, I dip, I might tip my hat to you, sir. Um, is there anyone else you'd like to say uh, a wee hello to before we roll out this fine evening? Uh, I think I've plugged pretty much everyone, haven't I? Yeah, um, yeah probably. <laughs> yeah, you know, mortally wounded and um, AOS coach. You've talked about Doom and Darkness. Mm-hmm. Um We've got the failed charge in there as well. Toowoomba seems to be the home of uh, AOS podcasting. There's two podcasts in a town of 100,000 people. <laughs> uh, yep, that'll do So, it. you know, that's a bit weird. Um, yeah. Yeah, but I, I'm just super thankful for everybody rushing to buy their tickets and hopefully uh, they have an awesome weekend. Yeah. Yeah, don't stuff it up is pretty much the, my overriding thought <laughs> and the reason that I wake up in a cold sweat at 3 o'clock in the morning. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, it means you're so. doing it right, man. If you're if you're troubleshooting this far out and you're making sure you have all your, uh, you know, your T's crossed and your I's dotted, you're doing it right. Um, yeah. Well, guys, if, if you want to hear Clint talk about, you know, Age of Sigmar in Australia, uh, you can, of course, hear him on Heralds of War. Um, he's also been a recent guest on uh, one of my favorite uh, shows, besides Clint's, of course, um, The Honest War Gamer, and that was an excellent interview as well that I quite enjoyed. Rob is a phenomenal guest, and, uh, yep, he got uh, a slightly different version of uh, your AOS story and uh, your plans for CanCon. So if you want to hear more about this event, um, and, of course, Clint's background, that is also an excellent interview, and it just went live uh, a week or two ago. So you can find that there. 
And of course, if you have feedback for this show, you can let us know by going onto Facebook and finding Cast Dice or just typing Cast Dice into the search bar. That's C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E. And you can find this show, um, the show's page, which is Lando Misfit Toys slash the home of the Cast Dice podcast. Um, Just message, my name is Brad. I will be the one who answers. Um, and to all those people who have been giving me feedback recently and their pictures of vacations and uh, all the models they've been painting, uh, I am jealous of all of you. Uh, it is the first week back of uh, term and I don't have much hobby time and I'm missing vacation something fierce. But, uh, ladies and gentlemen, as always, uh, I think it is important to remember that as you play the games that we love, no matter what, I hope your beverages stay cold, I hope your dice roll hot, But more than anything else, I hope you have fun. This is Cast Dice saying good night.